Hi, Hung. Great to see you again. Hi, Al. Great to see you, man. So for those that don't know you, which I guess is probably a tiny percentage of um, the population now, who are you, what do you do, and why do you do it? Uh, so my name's Hung Lee. I'm a founder of a recruiting tech platform called Workshit.io, um, and I also run a, a newsletter community called Recruiting Brain Food. Okay, excellent. So um, Recruiting Brain Food has grown hugely over the last couple of years or so because of the kind of great content you're creating for it and i guess with that your personal brand has also grown how important do you think that is nowadays particularly for a leader in the ta space you know what i think it's increasingly important um because we are now dealing with a, a people who are in a permanently distracted condition um, and it doesn't matter whether you're addressing people outside of your, co your company or within your company, everyone is paying 30% attention to what you have to say. Um, so I think a big part of the things that I've learned in my journey building brain food is that it's very important to find a way in which you can get people to pay attention to what you have to say. Um, and I think that's got to make sense for people working in recruitment in particular, uh, because of course, you know, one of their biggest problems in, in the industry is getting candidates to even think about, oh, this message that you've constructed that you want to speak, that you want to convert this person on. So you've got kind of two levels of personal brand there, haven't you? You've got personal brand for the reason of being successful in your kind of day-to-day -day job. So people know you as a recruiter in that space mm -hmm. and more like to maybe trust you and approach you, et cetera, and, and be more willing to listen to you about the roles you're trying to hire. And then you've got people furthering their careers for reasons of, you know, the personal brand can be used to help with that going back to the kind of uh, the recruiter level then so how can a recruiter make their personal brand more well known what steps can they take yeah i think there's, there's two things i would say i mean uh, you know everyone probably has a different technique or a different journey uh, that they want to pursue but my view is you can kind of split personal branding into two big bits um uh, number one is the stuff that you want to be known for so other people might call this content creation, curation, whatever it might be. Um, and the other part is the network that you have, which, you know, again, concept people might say it's distribution. Mm. Um, and what is your distribution power? Um, and you have to work on both of those things. So what is the message and how do you get that message out? Those two things um, uh, do kind of uh, have a relationship, but they can be separate. Um, and I think people who most often make the mistake in personal branding building, let's say, um, focus only on the, the first part, which is building content and you know writing blogs and doing all those types of stuff. They're not paying too much attention on the distribution, which in fact can be more important. So they're creating this beautiful content, but nobody's seeing it. And it's crushing, Alan. You know, I mean, I've been there. I, I've written a blog, you know, spent weeks on it, pushed it out, and five people will read it. Um, and then you're crushed by that because you thought, you know what, this is going to make real impact in the industry. That's the, the sort of uh, 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 desire that you have when you have something to say. Um, you want other people to listen to it. Um, but getting people's attention isn't just about creating great stuff. Um, it's also about building, you know, thinking about where the network is and, and how you can build relationships uh, that help you get that attention in the first place. Um, so those two things, I think, need to work in parallel. And that building relationships piece, I think you're right, that's absolutely key. It's all well and good having a big email list that you can shoot stuff out to or, and some beautiful content, but you need a little help from your friends, I guess, is one way of phrasing it. How can you build those partnerships? Um, so uh, yeah. re relationships can accelerate faster than you think. Um, a lot of the time, people think that relationships are about duration, like how long you've known someone um, would determine 
actually how well you've known someone. Um, but in fact, we all have friends that we've known for decades. But in fact, whenever we meet them, we're having the same conversation over and over again. Uh, you know, <laughs> it doesn't progress from what it was. We just kind of complain about the same thing. And then you realize, you know what, that relationship hasn't developed no matter how long I've known this person. Um, and the, the, the counterpart to that is sometimes we can meet someone over a weekend, have all these crazy events happen in the course of a very short time frame, and suddenly we're the best friends ever, right? And you know, you, you have this intimate relationship with this person. Um, and, and so I think relationship development is not about duration. It's about the number of events that occur within, cert within a certain time frame. And the wonderful thing about uh, the social web is that it's possible to create those events very easily. Um, small micro events um, that can help develop a relationship, ultimately to familiarize uh, the two parties together that otherwise would be on the end of anonymous email or a you know, faceless call or, or what have you. So it might be a, a comment on a, a blog that someone's written, a like, a quick message to them, congratulating on something they've done. It, dude, a quick that's call, exactly a it. Combination of those things. It's exactly that. I would even go to even more passive than that because even being a visible, doing your thing, mm. um, is is an event. Um, for instance, if if you were on some sort of short social network and I was also on that, and you'd posted something, I don't necessarily need to interact with that to know. Oh, Alan's posted that. That is a micro event mm. um, that will familiarize you with me. Um, and uh, that will help me build trust in, in who and what you are. And it will also help uh, sort of uh, us have further conversations. I, I have now some material to talk about next time I see you because you, you know, posted that picture of you outside KFC or something. Um, so all of the, uh, social media gives you the ability to rapidly accelerate relationships, I think. Um, and that's under underestimated even by recruiters often. I guess if, if anyone's more familiar with marketing concepts, so normally to convert somebody from being a individual who has no clue who you are or what you do to a customer, it takes multiple touch points. Absolutely. Same with relationships. From going having no relationship to having a strong relationship, it's going to take more than one casual passing in a bar. <laughs> this is exactly <laughs> it. And there's lots of studies being shown that ultimately people make decisions with... Um, the familiar, familiarity bias is, is, a, is one of the most well-understood cognitive biases out there. We're much more likely to trust things or people that we are familiar with um, than, than, than things that are strange to us. And we won't give the, often, we won't give the strange stuff the time of day um, because we apply some uh, understanding of risk to that and think, you know what, it's going to not, not be worth my while, I'm out. So if you imagine from a recruiting context, you receive an anonymous email from a another recruiter, I'm gonna just bin that straight away. I'm not even gonna look at the content. So forget about writing this amazing copy. I'm not even gonna read that copy. I'm out of there. However, if I recognize the name in some way, I'll recognize your picture in some mm. way, then maybe I'll click open and see what you gotta to say to yourself. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, personal branding is, is in this respect, I think critical for one of the, the, the current crises in recruitment, which is how do you get people to listen to your message? And I guess um, not everybody will be good at it, so you need to make sure you're one of them. Because if everybody was great at it, it wouldn't be a differentiator, but unfortunately not everybody is. So if you can be, and you can separate yourself from the crowd, it can really make you stand out as a recruiter. I'm gonna disagree, um, because I think everyone will probably be good in their own way, um, and I think it is, it is right to say, you know what, you, no one can be this person because they do it amazingly well because they, they have an affinity with this method of, of, of working. I get that. You definitely don't carbon copy. 
Um, but I think everyone can make improvements in terms of mm. their network building. Uh, everyone can make improvements based on, on how they tell a story and how they open up about the things that they, they care about. Um, these are learnable, le learnable skills. What about for the kind of TA leader? So kind of step away from a day-to-day -day recruiter who's doing it to be more familiar with candidates so mm. it's, it becomes easier to do their job in essence. Yep. What about the TA leaders who are looking to kind of position themselves as being kind of um, influencers, thought leaders, whichever one of those horrible buzzwords that keep knocking around we want to use. But they want to get up there and they want to be well known as a kind of leader of thought in their particular space. How can they uh, kind of propel themselves into that um, arena? So I think firstly, this is actually, a, for a TA leader, this is actually also another critical thing. They may not be operationally recruiting anymore, um, but in fact, um, the more people that pay attention to a TA person, uh, that has significant um, impact on how well they can perform within their jobs. And one of the, the crises, I mean, we've been there, and one of the big problems of working in, as an internal recruiter, or in, internal head of recruiting, is the rest of the business often doesn't pay you the attention uh, that they, that that uh, that needs to happen for you to do your job. So that internal dialogue within companies, I think, is something that is very important for TA leaders to think about. And in fact, a lot of the methods we talked about in terms of personal branding and you know accelerating relationships and so forth can be directly applied uh, to those folks as well. Now, how do you do that? Um, again, I, th I think the first thing everyone needs to do is have a look at their their own internal competence stroke capacity in your turn sort of if i could use those those terms essentially have an understanding of what you're comfortable with um and what you, you you're prepared to put time into um and then start from there um i don't think there's a there's a one solution for mm. everyone really okay one of the ways you've built your own personal brand is through the recruiting brain food brain food community yes um what, what triggered the idea in the first place? How did you come up with it? Really simple. Um, I realized that the internet had simply got too big um, in the sense that it was very difficult um, to identify and find um, interesting bits of content around the world of recruiting because of all of the other noise that's out there, right? This is like mass, I was one of the distracted people. So I thought, you know what, uh, maybe there's a way in which I can make the internet smaller for me. Um, and brain food really started off as just a bookmarking thing I was doing where I, I, I came across decent bits of information I wanted to read but couldn't consume it right there and then I just bookmark it away um, and, and uh, you know consume it when I had the, the time to do so. Um, then it, it occurred to me you know what probably a thousand other people are in the same boat where they can't consume great content at the time is it possible for me to open this up and share it with somebody? And then, you know, that's the where the easy step to the newsletter came out. And, you know, uh, lo and behold, people seem to warm to this and, and, and get value from it, which is which has been amazing to see. What have the, um, what have the benefits been to you personally in building out that? Um, there's been, I would say, indirect and direct benefits. So in, indirect benefits are everything that you might imagine it to be, uh, meaning that people do give you more time of day, um, uh, you're much more able to have conversations with people that are super busy themselves because they know who you are. Again, we talk about this familiarity. Um, it is an amazing relationship accelerator, actually. Mm. It, it occurred to me um, halfway, maybe a year ago, where I realized, you know what? I've been sending this email into people's inboxes every week for about you know a year now. Um, and even though this person may not have responded, um, uh, uh, there's a there's kind of an asymmetrical relationship being built there, whereby they know who I am now, 
Um, and that's massively powerful because it means that whenever I do need to have uh, a conversation with this person who might be a future customer, or might be a partner or whatever it might be, suddenly I don't need to pitch myself in. Uh, you know, one of the, mm. the most awkward things yeah. about any business is so the, the initial, who the hell are you? <laughs> who the hell are you? Uh, you almost got to establish, listen, I'm worth I'm worth your time of day. Here's my three seconds. And it's the awful experience of having to you know do that mini audition by email or by call. And it's really annoying. It's it's really makes you demoralized to do that. Mm. Anybody who's picked up the phone and dialed nine knows how that feels. Um, so uh, I, that seems to have gone away now. Um, it seems that I can now open this conversation up very easily. Um, so that's the, the one of the major benefits, um, uh, indirect benefits of doing it. Direct benefits, you get stuff coming your way. Mm. Uh, that's a, a simple fact is um, you, you're at a, a higher uh, you're top of mind or close to top of mind when people think about a particular problem that's in the industry and you get stuff coming your way whether it's work opportunity uh, or whatever so so yeah no question it's been super super valuable so for um for recruitment teams or actually even other types of businesses as well that are thinking about how can they leverage communities to be more successful in what they do whether it's for recruiting or for business um what are your tips in terms of how an organization would go about building those communities okay so i'm going to say a few things that might not be um uh, popular opinion um but i think that they're true um firstly um the you can only build a community when the members of that community self-identify as being part of that um, so I think a lot of the reasons why brands fail is because they want to create, oh, a community around my brand. Mm. Uh, they sort of employ a brand or a company brand or whatever. And actually, most people don't walk around thinking they're Coca-Cola people, no. right? Uh, or whatever brand it is. Uh, actually, Coca-Cola, they might do. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, imagine an insurance company or yeah. a bank or whatever. They're not going to, you know, people who are consuming that product don't necessarily think of themselves in that way. So it needs to be based on identity. And that usually is a job role they have. It could be personal identity of some type it could be a, a particular passion uh on a topic uh but have a think about where self-identity occurs that's where you can build community um second thing is that sadly enough communities are exclusive and inherently exclusionary and this is difficult for us to have a conversation about because we obviously want to promote inclusivity uh, and certainly i do feel very passionate about this myself however um, there are always a point where the point where communities are created is where people are excluded, where you are not in. Mm. Now, you could do this explicitly with a high, high wall and say, listen, this type of person is not welcome. Um, or you can do it purely through the things you talk about and then kind of deter people simply because this is the topic area. Um, example would be, I want to create a, a club of people who care about football great i just keep talking about football all the time it's going to deter people that are not interested in football mm. um that is exclusionary um it's literally saying this is the topic area someone came in and started talking about basketball probably they'd not be very welcome right so harsh it's one of those harsh but true things um if you want to create a community have a place where you identify people that do self-identify and then you've got to apply some rules to protect those people so that they can have that conversation without the fear that they're going to be, um, uh, without the fear, w w with the comfort that they can have the conversation with like-minded people. Yeah. Okay. And um, in terms of what that community expects from the community builders, 
how what can you do to make sure it's active they feel engaged with etc and encouraged to get involved as much as possible this is again very difficult number one you've got to care about the people like, like uh, again one of the the, the problems with uh, i would call engineer artificial communities um is that they have a very uh, uh sh they have too short a time frame um in terms of uh w you know how long they're going to give it um and they have too much thoughts about what the return of investment is which is totally natural right which is, but this is part mm. of the reason why um, companies or organizations really struggle sometimes to create communities um, and the best communities kind of come up ground up grassroots um, is because uh, when you have let's say um, a, a project plan to create a vibrant community um, uh, there's probably someone looking over your shoulder and saying oh how's that going um, and you know what you t you can't you can't tell how that's going um, there may not be a visible ROI in terms of a revenue for a long period of time um, so I think it really helps if people who are involved are truly passionate about it. Uh, and if they are, you'll find that the techniques will just emerge as a result of the passion that you have. Um, so yeah, you've got to care about the topic, I think. You've got to kind of listen to what people are asking for to a certain extent and serve it to them. Yeah, and once you're there, of course, um, you, you can do all of the, I mean, I think community management, community moderation is absolutely a discipline, absolutely a skill set. Um, and I don't think I'm necessarily good at that. But things I've picked up and know, know what to do is you do have to respond, uh, you do have to engage, um, you do have to provide some leadership actually, uh, which you know I, I personally don't find is overly natural because I like to observe things rather than you know be the charging guy in the front. But um, sometimes people are not going to make the decision to go forward without the moderator or the community manager saying, okay, we're doing this now. Um, so, so yeah, it requires you to do those types of, you know, um, leadership style activities, I, I guess. And is it worth with the community looking at partnering with others as well to kind of pick up some of that slack to make it a little bit more open and bring in other partners that can help Absolute, absolutely. Absolutely. <coughs> Unless this communities, firstly, are not discrete. So this is getting into anthropology and anthropology has known this a lot for a long time. Um, there's the, you can have tribes that tribes kind of intermingle and you can slide across these things depending on, you know, your, your, the, the topic area that you, you, you're dealing with at that time. So I think it's perfectly possible to be involved uh, in, in multiple communities and, and have that cross fertilization. I think it does absolutely make sense. Um, I guess um, there is some element where you might want to keep some dis discretion between the two um, and create a unique type of experience, if you like, um, uh, to to avoid you know any any kind of merger or or diffusing in some way. Um, but yeah, I mean, I probably need to think a little bit more about how 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 to do that and how not to do that. Um, but yeah, for sure, it's fascinating how communities kind of can evolve. Well, bringing us back into the world of recruitment, so how can a building a community that's active, engaged, um, loving spending time with each other, whether it's online, offline, or whatever, how can that benefit a recruitment team that's built that community? Yeah, I would say depending on what recruitment team, right? Um, so I think some of the, if you're an agency, um, some of the, the, the most interesting agencies I've seen are, are actually really good at building community, particularly in you know, the vertical that they recruit for. Um, and in fact, there's a couple of businesses right now which I can say they've been done such a good job at be doing the community building piece that they're now the de facto 
agency to go to if I'm looking for a head of product or if I'm a looking for a developer using this technology, I'm going to go there first because this person already has access to the community in a way that, um, in a much more richer way than anybody else might have. Um, everyone's got the same data, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone's got the same data, but they don't have the relationship. Uh, and that's the difference between community and a database. Lots of agencies can sit there with the same data as this company, but this company has the relationships and it transforms the, what is a moribund database into a community. And they're going to be much more effective in interacting and engaging with this community, therefore, theoretically, better at recruiting it. And the same applies for in-house recruitment teams as well? I would say so. I mean, I, there's, a lot, there's a lot to be said where you know, you can't build a community for every single role you recruit no. for. Um, and you might make a decision, do we build it according to, do we want to create fans of our brands? That's totally possible to do. I mean, I know we looked at uh, some of the early examples where it's difficult to do, but it is possible if you you have something that is genuine about your culture or your business um, that people might be, that might embrace. Um, you know, there's a couple of companies out there that are, are more well-known, I think, for their culture than they are for their product. Um, and these companies, I think, do develop a following because people want to learn about how they've built that, that, that organization. So that's a path you can definitely go down if you do, in fact, have uh, that culture internally. It's not just an idea that's come from, you know, let's do some employer branding. Um, you could also do it for roles that you know you have a, a persistent hiring need for. Um, so, for instance, if you're sort of business that you know that you're always going to recruit this type of person, you're always going to want to speak to this type of person, irrespective of whether you've got an open job vacancy or not, I would say that's a place where you, sh you should start thinking about community building because that's where you need to have long-term uh, relationships with that community because you're going to always going to recruit from. It's not just in-time recruitment. It's not like, oh, I have one, let's say, office manager job, probably office management, you only have one of those people in the, in the business. Uh, probably not worth building a community around that. But if I'm a, a design agency and I, I always need to speak to UX and creative people and all the rest of it, absolutely, I should be building a massive community around that um, uh, and supporting other communities uh, because that's going to help me uh, ultimately provide this pipeline of talent that I need. Exactly. I guess if you're hiring 50 devs a year and, and normally you're putting 40 of those out to a recruitment agency and spending anything up to a million goods worth on fees, building a community, having a community manager, managing that, just being very basic on a commercial level, the ROI comes back in spades. And we're, we're seeing this as well. One of the things that has been very interesting is to watch um, B2B tech firms, uh, particularly companies that provide data or services to other technology businesses. They were the first to think about this, um, you know, where they had uh, brand evangelists uh, and they weren't recruiters they were typically ex-developers mm. um, but their 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 role was actually not to develop or to recruit but in fact just to face the community listen to the community and make sure that their brand was positioned in the right way um, and of course that leads to recruitment opportunities because again the relationships are getting built um, if the, the, the brand evangelist is effective, the company brand gets more familiar, you should be able to have a lot more dialogue, uh, uh, more effective dialogue, should I say, than an anonymous business that happens to be needing uh, you know, this, uh, this tech person just in time. And sometimes some organizations may already be building their communities outside of the recruitment team because they have developer relations teams now, don't they? Exactly So right. there could be a whole heap of developers that not only might you want to partner with, 
for whatever reason, um, or to develop stuff that links in with your technology, but you also might want to hire them. So you should look to see if those communities already exist and how you might be able to insert yourself into them. Yeah, insert um, or support. Uh, I mean, I would say, you know, you probably don't want to use, uh, uh, I, w I wouldn't use the model of, let's say, infiltration, let's say. Mm. You can do that, um, but I think you'll be resisted um, and it will probably not end well. Um, but if you provide support to that community that already exists, then certainly um, you could you could accrue a lot of goodwill from that community, which will translate into br the brand recognition and the increased levels of engagement and better hiring at the end. Perfect. Mr. Hong, thanks very much for your time. Great. Much appreciated. Thank you very much, Good to see Alan. you again. My pleasure.